I am delighted to be with you for these days and am very thankful for the opportunity to come share with you about this marvelous, wonderful, indescribable, unfathomable God that we've sung about. We sing the words, my name is written in his hands, my name is written in his heart. course that's for believers and we sang that excellent chorus how great is our God there's a pastor whom Mike Griffin knows that was on my staff and now he's a pastor in Wilmington North Carolina the church just exploded under his leadership but we get on the phone every Wednesday when we our schedules allow because he still wants to be mentored and discipled and we share together. And he happened to be in my town some months ago when we went to breakfast. And after we had ordered breakfast, he looked across the table and he said, Brother Jerry, do you have any concerns about the church? Talking about the church generally. Well, this dear little woman, little Jerry, who lives with me, knows that I do because I often speak with her about the burden I have for the church in America. And I said, and I'd just been thinking about it as I drove to the restaurant, and I said, Phil, why would you ask me that? He said, well, I just want to know. I said, yes, four come to mind right off the bat. I said, number one, American Christians do not know who God is. Not being a senior pastor anymore, it's been my privilege to visit various churches. And I'm just aware that there is a vacuum when it comes to heart knowing about who this great God really is. What is he like? You see, God created everything there is. We know this by faith. He created all that there is, every molecule, every atom, every electron, every neutron. He created it all. But you see, as the Creator, He's intimately involved with each part of His creation. Because He is a God of love. He created everything and it all worked perfectly. And it says, and God saw that it was good. And after he created man, he says, and God saw that it was very good. Everything in its place, everything functioning, everything fulfilling the purpose for which he had made it. And all of it for his glory. I was in the mountains of Virginia at a cabin that we go to as much as we can. And I was pondering that scripture in Isaiah, the 40th chapter. 
And there's another one in Psalms. But it says He calls the stars by name. Now with the telescope in space and, and, and the astronomy that's able to be done now with these giant telescopes, we understand the galaxies, the billions of galaxies, which means there are trillions upon trillions upon trillions of stars. And He calls each one by name. Why? Because it is His creation. It is His. He owns it. He rules it. He reigns over it. And it's for His glory. Jesus said, Not a sparrow falls apart from your Father's will. We have bird feeders outside our kitchen window where we sit to have breakfast and the birds come and we have these sparrows that come, sort of a flock of sparrows and and doves that come. And Jesus said, not one of those little birds falls apart from your Father's will. He made every single one of them. He cares about every one of them. He says, even the hairs of your head are numbered. He says, there's not a thought that grows across your mind, but what he knows it all together. He knows you're down sitting. He knows you're uprising. You see, this almighty God who is loving is a father and he cares about the creation that he has made. Every single part of it. Nothing escapes his notice. How do you see God? How do you think about Him? Do you think of God as a real person? The one sitting beside you is a creature, a created one by God. But that person beside you or behind you or in front of you is a person. A person. They're a person who has feelings, who has thoughts, who has a will, who makes decisions. They are a person. And they can speak because they are a person. Do you think of God this way, that He's a person? A real person? A real person who feels, thinks, and makes decisions? Do you think of God as a person who is affected by your behavior? Do you think of God as just being someone who is so high and lifted up and mighty that we can just live like we want to and it really doesn't affect Him because He's so wholly other, so transcendent, so different that He's really not touched by how we live. We just need His forgiveness when we disobey Him. Oh, He's invisible. But angels are invisible. Demons are invisible. There are spirit beings and there are physical beings. 
We are spirit beings with a body. That's why we're the unique of all of his creation. You are a spirit being. You happen to dwell in an earthly temple, earthly tabernacle. But the angels, the demons, are spirit beings that do not have a body. Although they can appear in the form of a body, they do not have a body as you and I do. God is a spirit being. Jesus said, God is spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We have a spirit and we can worship in spirit this wonderful spirit being. He's a person. And He is affected by your behavior. Now, do you care? Do you care how your behavior affects Him? Just a casual reading through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, you discover that our behavior affects the heart of God. One of the biggest problems with the church in America is we think it's for us. There's God, and then there's us. And He's supposed to bless us and take care of us and serve us. Not so. There needs to be a tremendous paradigm shift in our hearts if we're going to know the presence of God. You see, it's not for me. He leads us. We know Psalm 23. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. His namesake. It's not for you. It's not for me. He forgives us for His namesake. It's not for you. It's not for me. It's for His sake. Indeed, the blessing in our, is ours when He tore the veil of the temple in two from top to bottom. The blessing is ours. He says, come boldly by the blood of Christ to the throne of grace. But listen, have you ever thought about the fact it's because God wants us near Him? The church is His body. The church is His bride. The church is His temple. The church is His family. It's for Him. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. We must make a complete paradigm shift. Folks, it is not for our pleasure. It is for His pleasure. It's not for our glory. It's for His glory. It's not for our blessing. It is for His blessing. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Let everything that has breath, what? Ask for blessing? No. Bless the Lord. You see, He is the center. He is the sovereign. He is the ruler. It's not for us primarily. It is for Him. Because He is God who made it all. 
for himself. So God is affected by our behavior. I'd like for you to take a tour with me just a few, through a, a few verses. If you look in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. This is in the section that tells us about the increasing corruption on the earth. The human race multiplied. And I want you to see how God's word assesses it for us in beginning in verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only Evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. He created us as human beings. As the crown of his creation. He made us in his own image. You see, God is invisible. Like the electricity coming through that wire is invisible. It gets to the light bulb and we see the glory of the electricity shining through the light bulb. God's purpose and plan for Adam and Eve and all of their children and children's children and children's children's children down to you and me was that you and I would be the expression in our daily lives of the very glory of God. We would shine forth with the beauty of his character. And you see, when Jesus Christ came, the only begotten Son of God, he came and revealed two things. He revealed fully in his humanity what God is like. And he revealed, secondly, what I am to be like. Jesus was a normal human being. The rest of us are perverted. Sin has perverted us from conception. And so we were created in the image of God. And as God looked upon the earth and seeing the human race increase, he saw the corruption increase. It's not changed. Look around us now, the corruption we have in this country. I keep wondering how long God's going to stay his hand before he judges us severely. 
So he has seen the wickedness increase and he saw the heart of man that every, every, not some, not a few, not most, but every, every imagination of our heart is what only, only, not some or partly, but only evil continually. And so instead of seeing human beings who are the expression of the beauty of his character and the outshining of his glory, he saw human beings who acted like his arch enemy, the devil. And he was sorry he ever made us. And it says, and he was grieved to his heart. God is a person. Grief is a love word. When we lost a grandson at the age of five to cancer, we grieve. When you lost a husband or a wife, you grieved. If you've gone through a divorce that you didn't want, you've grieved. Grief is a love word. And God was grieved to his heart because in love he created us for fullness of love, peace, and joy, and holiness, and righteousness. And he looked upon us being controlled by sin and rebelling against him and hurting one another. It grieved him to his heart. Second scripture. Luke 19, verse 41. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And it says, and when he, Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus Christ was and is the full expression of all that God is. The expression in bodily form. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He says, I and the Father are one. So Jesus Christ is the full outshining of the glory of God. The Word was made flesh. 
and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld his glory. Jesus Christ was the full expression of the heart of God. Colossians says, all the fullness of God dwelt in him bodily. Hebrews says he's the express image of the invisible God. So when we see the Lord Jesus, we see the Father. And as Jesus approached Jerusalem, that scripture comes into play. He came unto his own and his own received him not. You see, Full of the love of God. He looked upon these people that he came to. He looked upon Jerusalem, which was the city of that day for the Jews. And he looked across it. And he saw their rebellion. And he saw their rejection. And he wept. But let me tell you something. That word weep in the Greek is not to sit and just quietly cry. There is a kind of crying that's another word that's used in the Greek that's quiet crying. But this word, he wept. He sobbed and wailed out loud. He sobbed and wailed out loud. If he's the full expression of who the Father is and what the Father is, that tells us that sin grieves, still grieves heart of God. Now would you go with me? Ephesians chapter 4 verse Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And so in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 30, what we discover in the context is that sin grieves the Holy Spirit. Now let's put that together. The corruption of man on the earth Grieved God to his heart. The Father is grieved by sin. 
Jesus sobbed and wailed out loud over Jerusalem. The Son of God is grieved by sin. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. One of the three or four commands about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Grieve not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit who indwells believers grieves over sin. You see, folks, if sin is so horrible in the sight of God that he had put his own son to death for our sin, dare we just wink at it? Treat it lightly? Think of it carelessly? I said to a man recently, we have a low view of sin because we have a low view of God. If I see God as a holy God and a loving Father and that sin grieves Him to His heart, if I see that Jesus Christ would weep and sob over my sin or over the sin of this church, if I see that the Holy Spirit who dwells within me is grieved when I allow sin in my life, and if I love the Lord Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, then surely I would grieve over my sin. You don't see many people weeping over their sin anymore. And yet when Peter denied the Lord Jesus three times, it simply says Jesus turned and looked at Peter and Peter wept bitterly. He was struck to the heart with grief over what he had done to the Lord Jesus Christ in denying him three times. How can I say love God? I love God and not grieve over that which grieves his heart. The word teaches us in Corinthians, godly sorrow leads to repentance. You see, so much of what we call repentance today is simply, I feel guilty and I don't like the feeling of guilt and I want God to forgive me. Or I got caught. And I'm ashamed I got caught. God, I need your forgiveness. I've seen that over and over and over. But I tell you when repentance is real, it's when you see what you've done to the heart of God and you grieve and perhaps even weep and shed tears over your sin. And you say to God, I turn from this. I never want to hurt your heart again. I never want to grieve you again. That's repentance. This casual God I've sinned, I watched that program last night. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you very much. Amen. That is not repentance. Repentance is when you see and are sorrowful towards God for what your behavior, your attitudes, your actions, your words, your deeds have done to Him. It's not about getting rid of this bad feeling. It's about Getting reconciled to a holy God. The manifest presence of God in the American church is sparse. I know people who've never known that presence in their whole Christian life. It's been my privilege and blessing to be where God simply descended, it seems like, and people sat in stunned silence and wept. 
You see, folks, we treat it so carelessly and casually. How can I look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, Him dying on the cross, and imagining this, nailed to that cross, cursed and spat upon, beaten beyond recognition. How can I look upon that cross and realize He took my sin there and then take my sin casually and carelessly? Oh, He died for it. I'll just ask God to forgive me. I tell you, dear brother and sister, if you ever see into the eyes of God and see him in his presence, you'll never take sin casually again. I was speaking in a church, uh, getting ready to speak in a conference on the west coast of California. This is back in the early 1970s. And I got up before daybreak to pray because I had to speak that morning. And I won't go into all the details, but I was down by my bed in that motel room. And all I can tell you was suddenly I was in the presence of a holy God. I can't explain it. All I know is God came in that motel room. And I knew I was at the feet of a holy God. And if I could have crawled under that carpet, I would have. It was absolutely stunning. It impacted my life to this day. And that's what we so desperately need. We don't need to hear more Bible teaching without the presence of God. We've got so many seminars and retreats and conferences and preaching and teaching and television and radio. And we've got all that. And people's heads are crammed full of truth. But their heart, many of them, have never encountered God in his presence. That's what we need. So we can grieve the Father and we can grieve the Son and we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And you don't need to turn to these scriptures. I'm going to give them to you. You can jot them down. But in Genesis chapter 5 verse 22 it says, Enoch walked with God. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures translates that. Enoch pleased God. In Matthew 3 Verse 17, God the Father spoke and said, You're my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I want you to note something, dear folks. This was stunning to me when I heard a friend say this. But when Jesus was baptized, he had not preached a sermon, not cast out a demon, not healed a sick person, had never given the Sermon on the Mount. He had not done anything we would call ministry. He had lived at home, took care of what we consider was his widowed mother and his brothers and sisters until they were grown. He was 30 years old. He had not done anything in ministry that we know of except be a family man to his mother and his brothers and sisters. And yet God said at his baptism, you're my beloved son and who I am well pleased. Why? Because he lived day by day in the fullness of his father, doing his father's will. And he did not get the father's pleasure statement because he had ministered. He got the father's pleasure statement because he had simply lived the father's will in the humdrum of an ordinary, obscure life. He pleased the father. It's whether you're changing a baby's diapers, whether you're washing the car, doing the dishes, cleaning the house, going to the job that's a godless place to work. It doesn't matter. You can please the Father. 
He's not looking for ministry first. He's looking for character like Jesus first. That's his goal. And you walk with him. He will use you to bear fruit. And so we come to a conclusion. Oh, by the way, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Paul said, I make it my aim to please him. Or my ambition is to please him, whether at home or absent. I make it my aim to please him. Paul set out to make his daily aim to please the Lord Jesus in all things. It was a deliberate choice. I make it my goal to please him. So we come to the conclusion. We either grieve him. Or we pleasing. He's a person who's affected by our behavior. I wonder today as the Lord Jesus is intimate with your life, He knows everything about you. Does he look into your attitudes and does he see the attitude of humility and gentleness, kindness, love, compassion? Is he pleased with your attitudes? Or is he grieved? Or does he see resentment and bitterness, anger, malice, jealousy, envy? As the Lord Jesus hears the words that come out of your mouth, are they words that edify others or are they words that are critical and tear down others? As he watches your behavior in the place where nobody else is looking, nobody else can see, is he pleased with what you do? Does he see you often coming to his feet just to fellowship with him? to love him, to adore him, to pray, to spend time in his word that he might correct your heart and instruct your heart that you can walk like Jesus? Or does he see you taking your Bible home and reading a little devotional reading? It takes you about three minutes and that's it. Or does he really see you delight to be in his presence and fellowship with him and love him, enjoy him? So as the Lord Jesus, who is so intimate with all of us, who knows us by name, even the hairs of our head are numbered. And we're so much more valuable than sparrows. As he looked into your soul right now with his all-penetrating gaze, does he see you? So that he's pleased? so that there's sin there that you've allowed to stay there and he's grieved to his heart.
You could pray that prayer. Search me, O God, and know me. Say, Brother Jerry, what I do if he shows me something wrong? You don't realize how quick he is to forgive. Charles Spurgeon said, God is more ready to forgive than you are to sin. Stunning statement. The word confess means to say the same thing. I simply call it what it is, by name, before God. Say, God, I have sinned. This is my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. I turn from it. If it's against my wife, go to her. I would go to her and make it right with her. Guess my children, go to them. Just deal with it, honestly. We dare not ask God to humble us. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. I must humble myself. Deal with my sin honestly. And receive his forgiveness thankfully and humbly. So that I can come before him and look at him square in the face. And know... That his all-penetrating gaze does not see a thing that I'm not dealt with honestly and humbly in his presence. Does this church grieve him? Or delight him? Would you pray with me a moment?